Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Feckin' Metal and Arc Sabbath episode 2.0. The numbering is becoming confusing at this point, and I know that is the case. It's confusing me there, as you can hear in my hesitance, hesitancy, uh, hesitatedness to uh, go ahead with the name of the episode or the number of the episode. But I, uh, fuck it, I'm, I'm in too deep now. It's not lost on me the fact that I could have just um, called these episodes Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, Volume 4, etc., it's not lost to me, that's a wasted opportunity, but it's too late now to start doing that, so tough shit. I've made my bed and I'm going to have to sleep in it. Uh, yeah, and uh, about last week's episode, God, um, it did quite well, I was very happy with it, but it's. Uh, I know that a lot of you downloaded a version which had horrendous audio issues, and for that I apologise. Uh, there was a part where Uncle Steve's audio was overlapped with somebody else's audio, and then there was a part where I did my closing piece and it was overlapped with I think Melissa speaking I can't remember it was all it was horrendous it was all over the place apologies about that I did fix it I had to repost it twice and fix the audio uh, which is annoying because I know some people's podcast apps just automatically download podcasts that they're subscribed to and they'll get the older audio version but um anyway look tough shit you know you live and learn and life goes on uh, but yeah this is Arc Sabbath episode 2.0 this is my Black Sabbath arc last week we covered off some of the early Black Sabbath albums. We spoke mainly about Black Sabbath, Paranoid and Master of Reality, although there was a little bit of chat about some other albums. What you heard in the intro there was um, the Ozzy Osbourne uh, solo album Tribute, which is a live album recorded when Randy Rhodes was still in his uh, solo band, one that Uncle Steve spoke about last week, and that was a clip from Children of the Grave, something Uncle Steve spoke passionately about. He said he enjoyed hearing Randy Rhodes play those songs more so than Tony Iommi, so I thought I'd just include that clip there, in case maybe you haven't heard it before. That's from the album Tribute, which was an Ozzy Osbourne solo album, I think, out in 87, which was, I'm pretty sure it was on the fifth anniversary of Randy Rhodes' death. Um, I'm almost sure that's the case. You might correct me if I'm wrong about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, as you can hear there, uh, Randy Rhodes clearly plays that song quite a lot different to Tony Iommi, an iconic Black Sabbath song, but Randy puts his own spin on it. Personally, I prefer Tony Iommi's version of it, but I won't say it grew up, but I certainly knew that one a lot earlier than I knew the Randy Rhodes one. Anyway, just thought I'd include a little clip of that there. Another album uh, Uncle Steve was talking about was Speak of the Devil, and I thought it'd be interesting to contrast that album, the version of Children of the Grave from that album with the version that ended up on Tribute. So a little small st- side point here, Randy Rhodes was supposed to play on the Ozzy Osbourne album, uh, speak of the devil which was entitled talk of the devil in the uk apparently because that's the more commonly used version of that phrase anytime this album is mentioned people bring up this story but i just want to say that um, talk of the devil is certainly not how you'd say it in ireland you'd say speak of the devil and ireland and the uk are very similar especially with idioms and uh, colloquialisms well not colloquialisms, colloquialisms as much but idioms certainly um would be quite transferable between Ireland and the UK. And I've never heard anyone say talk of the devil. It's always speak of the devil. But anyway, apparently, um, whoever was in charge of that assumed that British and Irish people would need to have it watered down to um, a version they were allegedly more familiar with. But uh, I certainly am not, and I wasn't. Um, Anyway, back to that album. So we have uh, Randy Rhodes was approached by uh, uh, Ozzy's management, which I think at the time was Sharon Osbourne, about doing an all Sabbath songs live album. He said, no chance in hell am I doing that. Uh, and drummer Tommy Aldridge joined along with him. And bassist Rudy Sarzo said, no, I'm not fucking doing that either. So the three of them were like, no, definitely not doing it. Uh, we have created this huge thing with Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. Why would we go off and record a load of Black Sabbath songs? Uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, but 
apparently Ozzy kind of goaded Randy Rhodes over a period of time and um, eventually Randy agreed to do the album but then said but I'm leaving your band afterwards so I'll do the album I'll do your live album of Black Sabbath covers but I'm leaving after that and unfortunately before all of that happened he died in the, the famous plane crash that took his life um, so uh, Ozzy had to draft in a new guitar player called Brad Gillis and Uncle Steve mentioned Brad Gillis on the last episode and he uh, mentioned his playing so here's Brad Gillis playing Children of the Grave with Ozzy Osbourne speak of the devil depending on what area of the world you're in but yes uh, last time we covered off mainly the first three black sabbath albums um i didn't include a lot of clips in the episode but the band's namesake song black sabbath is something that's probably familiar to everybody but if you've never listened to that song and i'm not sure why you might be listening to this if you haven't pretty much set the template for heavy metal and uh, the opening is iconic here it is you've got the closing section which speeds up gets more intense and insane released in 1970 on the band's debut album and kind of basically set the template and obviously then Paranoid covers off the song Paranoid which everybody knows but why not play a little clip here (laughs) 
the very famous songs War Pigs and Iron Man. Here's a clip of the riff from Iron Man. And then Master of Reality, which was out in 71, kind of cemented Black Sabbath as this doomy metal band, or certainly created the template for doom metal. Uh, and we talked last week, or last time, not last week, uh, about songs like Into the Void, Lord of This World. Uh, so here's a, a clip of Lord of This World, which I believe Roy said was his favourite, or his jam. Uh, so here's a clip of Lord of This World. <laughs> Yeah, so that's pretty much where we are. We stopped there uh, around the Master of Reality point, but there were a couple of clips which I thought might be nice to include this time around as well. Uh, similar to the ones I included last time from Melissa about just heavy metal fandom and what people think about it and how people react to it. Um, so uh, Melissa has more autobiographical uh, anecdotes to contribute here about uh, how her family received her or perceived her as a heavy metal fan and uh like that they thought she might grow out of it etc well my mom was like what are you like are you satanic are you like worshiping the devil and i'm not, i don't come from a particularly uh religious family or anything like that but you know my mom was just like you know and naturally you wouldn't you know when i went to private school catholic school you didn't talk about you know black sabbath <laughs> I spoke more to Melissa about her family dynamic and how they perceived her as a heavy metal fan. I think it was just, I think it was just all of it, the whole, the whole package of it all. And, and the fact that it scared the shit out of my sisters. My mom's kind of given up at this way, but my sisters are kind of, my, I have a sister who is, um, who's 50 and she's, uh, she's very, um, she has a big corporate job and she's very adult like, right. And, um, and it's funny because we went out to dinner one time and somebody thought that that she was the oldest. And I said, no, I'm the oldest. I'm just the least immature. I'm least mature. And she's just kind of like, when are you going to knock this off? When? when? You know, th this has been my entire life that you've been like this. Like, you're still listening to this stuff. You're still my mother's just like, I just don't understand. I just I just I don't understand. I'm like, it, it's it's in me. And then, you know, it's like I'm doing a podcast. Oh, what's it about? Metal. My mother's just Jesus Christ. Who's going to listen to this? I'm like, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people out there going to go listen to it, you know? And, and, you know, my, my, my mom just kind of shakes her head. She just, and my, and my littlest sister who, who doesn't really, doesn't, is the one who's super supportive of me and has really um, accepted me for what I am and really loves the fact that I'm a metalhead and, 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 and kind of celebrates it and, and understands that it is, it's just part of who I am. It's part of, it's just like anybody's uh, identity, whether it's your, your, your ethnicity or your, your religion or, you know, whatever. It's just, it's part of me. So I'm never going, I'm never going out of it. Ladies and gentlemen, never going out of it. I have 13 nieces and nephews. I have no children and not a metalhead among them. I mean, it's just, it's kind of sad in a way. Um, 
because I, I, you know, it's a part, such a big part of me that I want to sort of share, you know, and my little sister, the, who's not, you know, she's 48 years old. Um, she listens, she's not a metalhead, but she listens to the podcast. My other sister, who's like a big Pearl Jam fan, um, her and her husband travel around to see Pearl Jam um, and Dave Matthews and that kind of stuff. You know, she's, um, she, this isn't even on her radar. <laughs> she's, she's, she's completely over it. She kind of went by the whim of her, like, depending on who she's dating type of thing. And she's married to a guy who was a massive Pearl Jam fan, kind of like on the level that we are about Iron Maiden and travels the country and goes to see them and, you know, and is in the fan club and is, you know, owns everything and, you know, the, reads the books and just, you know, he's, and so she's kind of jumped on that sort of bandwagon thing, but she dated a guy for a while. She was a deadhead and she's, you know, so she's kind of, but mostly she's like into like solo pop, Paul Weller. And she famously, she used to live with me uh, when she was going to college briefly. And she, that was when Millie Vanilli was around. She had that Millie Vanilli tape and she loved them, loved them. And I hated them. And I used to give her all kinds of shit. The closest she ever came to metal was Poison. That look what the cat dragged in. Oh my fucking word. All right, so back to the matter at hand. I spoke to Melissa on the last episode about her impressions of the first two Black Sabbath albums, that's Black Sabbath and Paranoid. So as our conversation continued, I asked her what she thought of the later albums, Master of Reality and Volume 4. I, I liked them. I thought that they, they did progress, and I understood that they were progressing and they were growing. And uh, Children of the Grave is such a great song, almost kind of like their proggy song, right? They're sort of getting into their sort of um, experimental. They sort of, I, I was saying that I, I think that they they were probably, you know, doing a lot of acid and stuff like that and getting kind of trippy. And, um, you know, they they obviously didn't want to make the same album over and over again. And I can appreciate that. And I thought that each album was a progression until it got to technical ecstasy. But up until that point, I felt like, they were doing their thing. They were trying different things, but they still had that core doomy Sabbathy thing going on. You know, you still, you still knew it was them. Rye from Sabbath Bloody Podcast had plenty to say on the topic of Volume Four. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's the beginning of them kind of coming into their own and not relying on uh, one kind of vibe because uh, the the blues influence that's on the first. Uh, three albums is it's 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 front and center as far as like the format the way they move it i mean there's obviously some great uh solitude and your planet caravans where they get into their jazzy stuff but as far as like their own confidence in themselves and i don't know if it's uh, a lot of it is the drug fueling and uh they probably zero fucks given when uh it comes to <laughs> outside interference because uh, they were, uh, you know, a bit of fiends for a while. And, uh, yeah, so around Volume 4, just to, I know that, like, the managerial timeline, which is something I really want to explore on my podcast now that I'm in kind of more of a free form now with uh, the podcast that I've gone through all the albums and I've done a bunch of Aussie stuff too, but um, I kind of just am picking topics and going at it. But one thing that is kind of the... the um, the control of the managerial thing, it's very heavy at times and then it's rejected heavily at times. And around volume four, they were kind of left to their own devices a little bit and you get to see a little bit more of their uh, skills as musicians. 
I asked Roy specifically what he felt about the ballads that feature on Volume 4, which were a departure in sound for Black Sabbath. They'd never really done anything like Changes, or even anything like the song Laguna Sunrise. And the way they did it too, like, that's <laughs> real fucking mellow. I'm not a big fan of Changes, like, and even beyond the whole, like, yeah, oh, it's too soft kind of thing, it's just very vanilla, you know? Um, it sounds like uh, I lost my poor meatball. <laughs> like, you, know, like, you don't know that one? I lost my poor meatball. <laughs> it's just got the, it's very Aussie in that sense that like the, the melody he picked for it is, it's almost like a little nursery rhyme, I think. In 1973, Black Sabbath would go on to release the hugely experimental album Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, which was followed in 1975 with the almost progressive-sounding Sabotage album. Philip Trummer spoke to me about where those early Sabbath albums rate in his favourite Black Sabbath albums of all time. Those are two of my favourite Sabbath albums, both Sabotage. And on a bad day, or on a good day, depending on where you stand, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath will be my favourite Sabbath album of them all. Um, It would have been really, really cool to hear Ronnie sing some of those songs spiral architect sabbath bloody sabbath it would have been just amazing any day i would say my two favorite sabbath albums are the debut and sabbath bloody sabbath those are the two i would choose and in between volume four i am firmly planted in the aussie years simply because the riffs are there all the riffs are there from Black Sabbath to Electric Funeral to Spiral Architect. Uh, it's there. It's, it's my love of doom metal. It's my love of heavy metal. But I would probably call Sabbath Bloody Sabbath my favorite Sabbath album. I really liked Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and I I liked the acoustic stuff. I didn't have a problem with the acoustic stuff. I you know, I didn't love the ballady things. I didn't really. They were all right, but they weren't really. They weren't really the Sabbath that I that I loved. But I liked the acoustic because it was like the light and the heavy. You know, it kind of. It, I don't know. It matched. It it went together. It just it it worked. It I I just thought that. Um, and I you know I had just. I had wished that I had been able to see them in there. What was, I think, kind of their heyday, you know. I think uh, Sabbath Bully Sabbath is pretty proggy as well at points. You get um, really big sprawling epics on there. Spiral Arch- Architect, one of my favorites. Incredible uh, songwriting on there. The, the lyrics are heady as fuck. Um, Geezer's always great at that. I mean, like um, Killing Yourself to Live is one of my favorite songs. That's just an absolute... Uh, it's a little straight ahead, but it's killer. I love it. Um, and yeah, natu- uh, National Acrobat, the groove on that is undeniable. Cyber Cadaver is fun. Uh, those two were lumped into that Metallica thing, so I guess they're kind of burnt into your head. Really cool album. Um, I find the parts too, like they do a lot of switching into the um, s- strange kind of symphonic bits there. Um, you got uh, uh, that's fluff is on that one, right? Yeah, I get them kind of mixed up, but but just like that formula that Iomi brings in there, where he has kind of that uh, brings in those secondary jazzy things. I mean, Laguna Sunrise is fucking beautiful. I could just trip to that for days. 
light and dark, he knows he knows how to do it, even within songs. Um, that's a, like the breakdown in Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Like there's pretty much nothing more heavy than that, even though it's not tuned down ridiculously or amped up. Just the switch, the the, the transition into it. It's if if your your head doesn't move to that, I don't know what the fuck's wrong with you. <laughs> Here's what Uncle Steve had to say about the album Sabotage. I I think it was. Um the way Ozzy sings, it's really like, it's not like he's just singing. He's like really aggressively almost screaming some of the vocals out. And, and I read about what was going on. I I pulled the album up just to see something about it. And apparently there was a lot of legal wranglings going on. They were suing man. You know, they were being sued by somebody and they were suing because they, you know, they found out they were getting ripped off. And so they were writing. And I feel like that's why he sang that way because he was probably, you know, a he was probably, well, you've you've read his "I Am Aussie" book, or you've listened to it, or whatever. I mean, at, at at no point of his life, I don't think is what I'm about to say an understatement. He was probably drugged out of his mind, <laughs> you know, and 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 then all the pressure on top of that, you know, just of you know, find, thinking what's going to happen to us, our legal battles, and all that. So, but I really, I really dug it. I really was liking it a lot more than I thought I would. So. And, and he doesn't do it, I don't think, on any other album. He doesn't sing like that because the next album is Technical Ecstasy. And, well, you know what? He kind of does because you think of like, and I don't like this song. So when I use this as an example, it's the only one that stands out. But Rock and Roll Doctor, you know, the way he's kind of screaming, gotta see my Rock and Roll Doctor. I mean, it's kind of, maybe he cared, maybe it's his uh, No Prayer for the Dying, Fear of the Dark uh, <laughs> period of the band, you know? But, I, but I, I really like it on Sabotage. I think it was really, the first time I listened to the album, I just thought, I don't know if I like this too much. And I listened to it again and I was like, it really grew on me fast. I said, wow, this is good. So, you know, something and that's crazy about Sabbath is I don't, I wouldn't never consider them a progressive band, but in a way they have these incredible time changes or just changes of complete, you know, the whole direction of the song changes and you'll have a, you'll have a song with a really great riff and then the song just changes. And then it even, it's, it kind of reminds me of, of uh, some Metallica stuff. Then an even better riff comes in. Like they throw another and you're like, this could have been a whole nother song. And, and of course, you know, symptom of the universe is the song that opens speak of the devil. And I prefer it on speak of the devil just because it, you know, it has that big, long, weird ending on, on symptom of the universe on sabotage. Like I said, it's kind of just the way that the, the parts flow. There's all kinds of sonic variety. I love the album. Um, I just find that a lot of people rank that as number one. And that's like, um, I'm like, Whoa, okay, let's pump the brakes a little bit and kind of go into why like because it, it is a little bit of an out, outlier as far as uh the vibes have come that kind of aussie sabbath but i guess transitioning from that i mean the album right after this technical ecstasy so it's not really an outlier it's kind of part of the transition um but i think uh sabbath bully sabbath is pretty proggy as well at points you get um really big sprawling epics on there spiral Arch- architect one of my favorites incredible uh songwriting on there the, the lyrics are heady as fuck um geezer's always great at that i mean but most of it but honestly most people do say i mean the first six is that's kind of the the, the tagline right um you can only trust the first six sabbath albums in yourself or something like that <laughs> and unfortunately some people click click onto it too much and uh don't kind of get what they're doing as humans moving on and um yeah 
I thought uh, I thought the guitar was um, just amazing. I mean, I think Sabotage is a really interesting album. I think it's um, if you compare it to the first album, it's very different, and yet, and yet, it's Sabbath. Like you can still tell it's Sabbath, and it just seems like there was a there was a there was a growth. I thought that there was a growth. So I really liked that album. And I really thought that that album, I thought that album set the table for what I thought was going to happen in the future, which ended up happening sort of in the future, but in the sort of wait future, right? (laughs) As promised on the last episode, Uncle Steve ranked his top Black Sabbath albums in order. That's the first eight albums with Ozzy to be specific and uh, as he loves a ranking and we all love to hear his rankings here's Uncle Steve's top Black Sabbath albums rating the first eight with Ozzy Osbourne in order. Actually let's see here yeah I think my list will probably throw some people for a loop here partially some of it will be obvious because there's only I mean really there's only two albums that aren't great or maybe well let me here. Let me tell you. So my my number one, because what I did is I, I started with with Black Sabbath, Paranoid, just worked my way down. And I when I would get done with say Master of Reality, I'd go, okay, I rank this here, and I rank Paranoid here, and I rank the first album here, and then I do the next album. Okay, now I rank this one here, this one here, and this one here. So I'm going off memory, but I if I recall correctly, my number one album was Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and my number two is Master of Reality. My number three, yeah, you're going to, I think my, I think when you get to the lower part of my list, it's going to, it's like ranking some of the mate. Like if you said, Hey, put the, put number of the beast through a uh, seventh son in order for me, you're going to put one of, one of them is going to be ranked number five. It doesn't mean it's a bad album, but um, my number, okay. My number three, I was kind of changing my number three, I think. So yeah, I think, I think for my number three and, and this, my number three, I'm going to say is sabotage, which which earlier I would have thought that was ranked at the bottom because I just never really got into that album that much. I don't know why. And I bet you, if I don't give you a hint for uh, what my number four ranking was, I bet I, I bet if I don't even give you a hint, you can guess what my number four ranking is, right? <laughs> Volume four was number three until I did a double take on Sabotage. So now, okay, now it gets a little tougher because we're talking paranoid... Um, yeah, okay. I'll go paranoid as number five. I'm gonna say technical ecstasy next, uh, and then never say die. And last, yeah, I guess this is an Uncle Steve take, right? I'm ranking Black Sabbath as the lowest album, even though, even though <laughs> Black Sabbath, The Wizard, and NIB, I love all of those songs, they're so good. But I like when I when I when I listened to that album. I found myself looking down going, okay, when's this going to be over? Okay, so I feel like we covered a good bit of ground today. We discussed everything from Volume 4 right up until and including Sabotage. So that's covering the period from 1972 until 1975. So next time on Arc Sabbath, we're going to discuss briefly the album's Technical Ecstasy from 1976 and Never Say Die from 1978. And at that juncture, I'd like to take a little break and reflect upon this era of Black Sabbath because this is what many people consider to be the classic period of Black Sabbath. And as far as some people are concerned, this is the only period or era of Black Sabbath that matters. So let's reflect back on 
on this period of time uh, on the next episode of Arc Sabbath, which will be episode 2.5. I'm looking forward to speaking to you then. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode, and I have been your host, Fergal Trainer. So I will see you next time. Bye.